0: right, good morning. Good morning. Uh, This morning we're going to be looking uh, and considering the vision of our church. I like to do this um, every September. I think it's important for us to do this. I'll explain why in a minute. In January, I love to talk about the mission of our church, but the two work together, and I'm going to explain why. You see, at the heart of every organization, what it does is its mission. And the mission gives the organization its focus and its direction. At Central, it is our mission, and for some of you that have been around for a long time, forgive me for switching this up on you this week. It's not bad. It's to be loved and to love. So as you see how I changed that, we've always said love and be loved. Um, we I, I i think for moving forward. Not I think we're moving forward. I'm going to refer to this as be loved and loved, because to humble ourselves before God and others that we might receive the love of God and our neighbor, to acknowledge our needs, to share those needs, and allow those needs to be met, is the very basis for us pursuing God's call on our life, which is to love. To love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're reminded of this in First John. From the Apostle John. Who says, we love because He first loved us. Therefore, at the heart of our mission as a church. Is to be loved by God and others. And to love God and others. This is what we do. Of course, this mission... This church mission that is put before you all the time is not easy. In fact, I think it is one of the most difficult things for any church or any organization, especially a church who has its mission to be loved and to love. Because one of the greatest problems in all of North American church life, if not church all around, is not a willingness to love, but rather a willingness to be loved. We are prideful stubborn, insolent, self-sufficient, self-righteous, and so much more. And so to be loved, to share our needs, to express dependence is actually an assault on our dignity, honor, and pride. It's tough. But of course our mission is tough in that we are called to love other people. Many of us know that people can be stubborn and difficult, mean, insolent, prideful, and therefore to move into their lives is a great challenge. And this even applies to the city we live in. The city that we live in presents so many challenges, so many nuanced challenges. And therefore, to love our city well, we need to listen to our city well. We need to move into our city, not, not step away from our city. And then we need to step into those challenges with, this, with knowing this. We might not ever see this problem fixed in our lifetime, but we're still going to move in. To be loved and to love is an incredibly difficult mission. And I don't want to say it's easy, because it's not. But here's the thing. There is no greater fuel for the mission of our church than seeing a vision for what our mission can accomplish. When we see a vision when we see what our mission can accomplish and take a moment to dream, what we, what we see is that all the hard work of being loved and loved is ultimately worth it. And for, so for that reason, for the next three weeks, I'm going to be dreaming with you about what our mission can accomplish, not only in my own life, but in your life and in the life of our neighbors and our city. We're going to take time to consider what our mission can accomplish. We're going to take time to consider our vision. It's my hope that it fuels and ignites in each of us a desire to continue with the mission, to be loved and to love. This morning we're going to consider what it is like and how being loved can move us from entitlement to thankfulness. We'll be looking at Luke 1711 through 19. With that being said, let me pray. Our gracious Lord, the reality of our lives is that we are prideful, we are stubborn, we're ignorant of the needs that we have, and therefore we need you to reveal what is true about us. But not only that, we need to see how it is that you have met those needs and how you have people in this world to partner in meeting those needs as well. And so we ask this morning, using Your Word through Your Spirit to do those very things, creating us hope from moving us from entitlement to thankfulness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a bulletin insert, you can see that our Scripture reading comes from Luke 17, 11 through 19 if you don't have a bulletin insert and have a Bible, great. Turn to Luke 17, 11 through 19 We'll be reading a story during Jesus' ministry. Hear the reading of God's Word. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as He entered a village, He was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. About a month ago, I had one of the greatest privileges of my tenured and historic golf career. <laughs> you see, I got to play the Elotion Golf Club with David Perkinson. And David, I, I love you, but the, the privilege is actually playing the Elotion. sorry. <laughs> For those of you that don't know what the Elotian Golf Club is, it is a top 30 golf course in America. It sits 20 minutes outside of Little Rock, and it is very private, and it is very exclusive. If you were to just drive out to Highway 10 and be like, let's just go check it out, you would be met by armed guards. I got behind those armed guards. <laughs> My name was on the list. The day or two before uh, I went out there, I got an email from the club, and it was, you know, it's fine, You know, I expect, I'm gonna follow your rules, I'm so grateful to be going out there. You get, this, you get this email, like the do's and the don'ts. One of the do's and the don'ts is don't take pictures of the golf course or the clubs. They don't want you taking pictures, they want you to enjoy it. And of course, I was going to honor that rule. And, and, and let me tell you this, when you go there, some of the most beautiful vistas in all of Arkansas, you see Lake Maumelle, and you see the mountains, and you see these cliffs, and you see this perfectly manicured golf course, and you want to take a picture. You, I, I told my wife, I said, I just want you, to, I want you to see it. I just want you to see it. It's so beautiful. Of course, what I'm saying is that, I mean, I, I'm not a member out there. I didn't even know a member out there. I had to go through David, and David knows the member, and actually it was through Angela who got me on out there. But here's the thing, what I'm trying to say. You want to know something? I was so grateful. I was so grateful to get onto that golf course. I love golf. And to get on one of these golf courses that I've always dreamed about playing on, it was so great. And and you know what? It was so easy to follow those rules. It was so easy while you're sitting there to just, just mind your manners. To not put your elbows on the table, to joy yourself and to soak it in. Because I was so thankful to just be there. I was so thankful, all day, remembering every every moment, almost of every day. I can tell you every shot that I hit during that day. There weren't many. I mean, of course not. Um, <laughs> that's a golf joke. Okay. I'm very thankful, and I'm still thankful to this day. You know, but every moment of life, every moment that we live is not like my Elotian moment. In fact, most of us, it's just the opposite. Most of us struggle with an entitlement mentality. No, no, let me say that again. I need to say it much stronger. We all struggle with the entitlement mentality. I took my son to get a donut for his birthday, which we always do in my family. And he went into the donut shop boasting of his birthday. The lady behind the counter heard him boasting, and she, like a good Shipley's, I'm going to mention it, give you credit, Shipley's, (laughs) heard Benjamin boasting, and she turned around and grabbed the donut and gave it to Benjamin free of charge. Benjamin didn't say anything. He's four. He doesn't really understand the concept of gifts and things like that. And as a a concerned dad and longing to teach Benjamin what it means to be thankful, I said, Benjamin, Benjamin, what do you say? "Oh, oh, Oh, yeah, thank you. The way, once that moment hit, what I realized though was, why do I need to teach him how to be thankful? Why am I sitting here trying to teach him to be thankful for a donut that he received? Oh, Benjamin's entitled to this donut. He's going to the donut shop to begin with. He gets a donut. He doesn't care how he gets the donut. And so I have to teach him what it means to be thankful. But even in a four year old, he's already dealing with an entitlement mindset. And I have to teach him to be thankful for the donut that he received. Wow. What a gift, Benjamin. Say thank you. He's like, no. I wanted the sprinkle donut. I got a chocolate donut, and wow. see, as early as Forbes, we encounter entitlement problem, and we've been dealing with this entitlement problem since the day we were born. We all have an entitlement problem. I saw this study this week that Forbes wrote, titled "Millennials and Entitlement in the Workplace." In this article, they mentioned a study conducted by Case Western Reserve University that found that entitlement typically leads to chronic disappointment. Entitlement typically leads to chronic disappointment. You feel like you deserve certain things, whether tangible or intangible. And to deal with this entitled mentality, we cope by blaming others rather than ourselves. To continue feeling that it's the environment that's responsible for our disappointment. And this study concluded that over time, this entitlement mentality can lead to clinical depression and isolation. I'm holding up before you the the reality of a thankful life and the reality of an entitlement life to contrast the two. The thankful life is one of joy. The thankful life is one of wisdom. The thankful life is one of generosity. When we are genuinely thankful, there is a peace, a joy, a happiness. And when there is an entitlement mentality, there is depression. There is a me against the world. And what I'm doing for you and for me this morning is, how in the world do we go from this depressed entitlement mentality to one of thankfulness? How do we do this? How do we move from entitlement to thankfulness? Well, we're going to study Luke 17, 11-19 this morning. And what we're going to encounter in Luke 17, 11-19 are two different categories. You're going to see the entitled category and you're going to see the thankful category. But what I want us to see and what I want to use from this text is I want to begin to understand what entitlement is that we might be very clear how we go from entitlement to thankfulness. And the way we're going to do this is we're going to get very clear on what entitlement is. We need to be very clear. And so first, I'm going to give a description of entitlement. And then we're going to dig down a little bit deeper into entitlement and see the deception of entitlement. And having been really clear on what entitlement is and its deception, we're then going to look at how entitlement is defeated. So three things on entitlement. That we might move from entitlement to thankfulness. Or at least see the picture of moving from entitlement to thankfulness. This is my hope and my prayer today. That we do, as a people, become very thankful. So first, let's look at the description of entitlement. The description of entitlement. You know, one of the earliest recollections of entitlement from my childhood came from the movie, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And I'm referring to the 1971 version of this story, not the new one. In this story, a girl named Veruca Salt, who wore a red dress and had a dad that followed her around, willing to do whatever she wanted, was glaringly, obviously entitled. She was so annoying, and one of the most memorable scenes of Veruca Salt came when she walked into the room where the geese were laying golden eggs. And she demanded to her daddy, I want one, I can't do the English voice, I want one, give it to me now. And she sang the song, I want it now. It's deeply troubling and sad, but everyone can see it. Obviously, much to everyone's strange pleasure, at the end of her song, Veruca Salt ended up in the garbage heap, followed by her dad. Entitlement is very obvious right here with Veruca Salt. It jumps off the screen. But here's the thing about entitlement. This is rarely the way it shows itself. Entitlement is typically not like that. If we're all entitled, which I am saying we are, then we need to be very clear of how we are entitled. And we need to have a very clear description of entitlement. In Luke 17, we find this more down-to-earth description of entitlement. A much more personal one. One that we can relate to. To remind you of the story, ten lepers were healed. And one returned to give thanks. And Jesus is startled that one returned to give thanks. And He even says, weren't there nine of you? Man doesn't respond. It's not his response to give. But the author of this story does give us a small lead as to why the nine didn't return. And the small little glimpse, the small little lead that the the author gives to us is this phrase. Now he was a Samaritan. The man that returned to give thanks to Jesus for the healing that he'd received was a Samaritan. Now, if you have no idea of what what the Samaritan is, or what is in the Bible, let me just briefly explain to you the tension between Jews and Samaritans because there were great tensions. Jesus, it says, was on His way from Galilee to Jerusalem, which is it's about 90 miles. And to go from Galilee in the northern part of Israel to Jerusalem in the southern part, you had to go through this area called Samaria. Samaritans, in, who, who inhabited this world, were, were Jews who had gone away from the Jewish tradition, from the Jewish uh, Torah, is what they call it, the Law of God, and they created their own symbols of worship and they created their own ways of doing this. They married people outside of the Jewish faith. They were they were the bad apples in the family, and Jews and Samaritans did not go together. And G- Jesus himself was known as a Jewish master. Jesus Himself was known as a Jewish uh, a teacher of the law. And so they all knew who Jesus was in this area. You know, there was a great following of Jesus. And as He's going through the ways, these ten lepers see Jesus. And notice what they say. They say, Master, Master, have mercy on us. And Jesus does. But look what He does. He doesn't say, go be healed. What does Jesus say? He uses very Jewish language to help with their healing. He says to them, "Um, Go and show yourselves to the priests. Go and show yourselves to the priests. Now, the Samaritan would not be allowed in the presence of a Jewish priest. The other nine would. And so they all go, All right, let's start going to the Jewish priest. And on the way, it says, they were healed. But on the way, nine of them went and they didn't give thanks to Jesus. The Samaritan did. And the question is why? Because he did not feel entitled to a Jewish master teacher's healing. The other Jews did. The nine Jews were entitled in their mind to a Jewish master teacher's healing. The Samaritan didn't. He knew that he didn't deserve anything a Jewish master teacher would give him. And so when he experienced the healing of a Jewish master teacher, he went back immediately to Jesus saying, praise be to God. And he lays down on his face giving thanks to Jesus. What's the difference between the man who gave thanks and the ones that didn't? The man who gave thanks was not entitled. And here we see a description of of entitlement. Entitlement is a state of mind that revolves around one's deserving of love. The description that I want you to know of entitlement is it is a state of mind that revolves around one's deserving of love, of one's needs being met. I deserve this because of something I am or something I've done. We all have this entitlement mindset. We have it in our church. In fact, I think the church is probably one of the most entitled places in all of the world. I'm good. I'm decent. I, 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 I know the right things. I do the right things. Therefore, the right things need to be come to me. It's all about me and what I deserve because of my right behavior, my right actions, my right theology. Entitlement exists in our workplace. I have got a degree from the University of Arkansas. They've got a degree from Pulaski Tech. Why are they getting the the job that I deserve? See, the mentality exists even in our workplace. And it's even in our homes. It's in our homes. Entitlement exists everywhere it's a mentality a state of mind that revolves around our deserving of love how do we know how do we expose our entitlement here's just a simple test for you to expose entitlement in your life when was the last time you were genuinely thankful for the roof over your head when was the last time you were, you were thankful genuinely thankful for your job When was the last time when you you went to lunch and you actually said, I am really grateful for this meal. Guys, let's stop and give thanks to God for this. You see, one of the ways you can know your entitlement mentality and the state of mind is by your lack of thankfulness. A failure to give thanks is, is the very way you can determine your own entitlement. This is the description of entitlement. The nine men who were healed by Jesus felt entitled to it. The one didn't. And the one who didn't gave thanks and praise. But I want to drive deeper into entitlement. I don't want to just give you a description of it. I want to expose the deception of entitlement. Because I think Luke 17 helps us see this as well. Not only the description of entitlement, but the deception of entitlement. And I want to to tread lightly here. What I'm about to say can be hard to hear. But here's the deception of entitlement. Just because you have very real and significant needs, whether they be physical, emotional, or spiritual, does not mean you're exempt from the entitlement mindset. Think with me about the nine men who were healed. What did they have? They had leprosy. They had leprosy. Leprosy is a disease in which you cannot feel anything. And the way your body breaks down is is that you can't feel when your hand is touching something that is hot. I got some fried green tomatoes the other day and I put them in my mouth and it scarred my tongue for a whole day. I didn't have any taste and feeling in my tongue because of those hot fried green tomatoes. One who is leprous cannot even feel that. And so they might keep putting those hot green tomatoes on their tongue, ruining their tongue. You want to talk about a person in need, it's someone who's leprous. But look, they were healed of their leprosy, and yet they didn't give thanks. They were deceived. Look, here's the reality of all of us we all have physical needs. We all have emotional needs. We all have spiritual needs. And what we can do is we can hyper-focus on one of those three needs. I need a home to the neglect of our spiritual need. We can say, I need friends to the neglect of our physical needs. And we can slave ourselves away trying to meet those needs and kill ourselves. And that this is perhaps one of the most dangerous things, especially for many of us in this room. We are wealthy beyond our, our unbelief, but what, we know Jesus. We know we need Jesus. Spiritually, we understand what is needed. But we can ne- neglect to understand that the money that we lean on to is actually stripping us away of the very needs of our physical needs and our emotional needs. Our entitlement mindset, it's, it's deceptive. If you lean in to other people in the midst of your physical needs, your emotional needs, your spiritual needs, you can think, oh, my needs are being met. But it's not true. We can easily be deceived. Oh, I'm receiving love. I'm letting my needs be known when you're actually not. Once again, we know this by our lack of thankfulness and our lack of gratitude. The things in which we are not grateful for can expose in us the entitlement mindset that is in all of us. See, we need to be very clear on the entitlement mindset that is in all of our minds that we might see it, detest it, and hope for something better. And hope for something better we do have. Because I want to show you lastly the defeat of entitlement. How in the world can we go from entitlement to thankfulness. The key word that I want to mention is this. Humility. Humility. You want to know how you go from an entitlement mindset to a thankful mindset? You humble yourself. This is exactly what the Samaritan did with Jesus. There was nothing he did he, he there was nothing he was banking on for the healing that Jesus provided. Nothing! And Jesus healed him and look at his response. His thankfulness just bubbled up out of his heart. And he came to Jesus, what? Praising God, right? But not just praising God. Look at what it says. Praising God with a loud voice. You know, when you're thankful, especially, and this is one of the ways you know that people are thankful, when you're team. Does something very good. And I know it's been really hard. It's been hard for me for my, our sports teams to be good. Like Arkansas, Florida State, a lot of other things. It's been really hard of late to be thankful for what we see on the field. And there's not a loud, a loud voices. <laughs> but when we're genuinely thankful for what we see, loud voices is the normal response. And this is what he's done. I'm so thankful! Yes! And then he does this. What does he do with his face? He puts his face where? At Jesus' feet. I mean, You want a description of a humble person? It's a thankful person who is willing to like, humiliate themselves at the feet of Jesus. And then he gives thanks to Jesus. Entitlement begins to be defeated when a spirit of humility comes over us. And one of the ways that we can become more humble, is that we get really clear on our entitlement. We get the perception that this Samaritan had. And what a gift this Samaritan had. He was leprous and he was a Samaritan. He deserved nothing. He needed everything. And everything he got. He humbled himself. I think this is one of the most beautiful parts of this entire message. Look at what Jesus says to him right after he's like, where are the nine? He said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. I want you to see this, and this is is not seen necessarily in the English, but another good English translation to help us really understand what Jesus is saying is this, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you, not just made you well, because we think physical. What Jesus is saying here is that not only has your body been restored, but your soul has been saved. You now rest securely in my arms. The humble man, the humble man in this story, receiving the love of God without any entitlement. Clinging simply to the mercy of God is the one who was saved. You want to go from entitled to thankful, it is giving up the things you feel entitled to, being very clear, seeing how you might even be deceived from entitlement and letting them go, recognizing that everything you have, physical, emotional, spiritual, is at the mercy of God. And we cling simply to Jesus. When we receive the love of Jesus... We are saved. I read this story not long ago, and I think I've I've read it to you before, but I want to read it again because it's a powerful story. One evening, a man named Bill came home from work only to be greeted by his frustrated wife, Grace. We need to ride, Uh, Grace said. Bill immediately reasoned in his mind, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in trouble. He tried to stall and said, well, what about the kids? Grace replied, oh, I took care of them. So Bill gets in the car, and he's racking his brain, trying to figure out what he had done wrong, and he couldn't think of anything. The truth is, he'd been a good dad, a good husband, a good provider for his family. He had been faithful to Grace, but yet she was clearly upset. When she got in the car, Bill said, where to? And she said, just drive north. So they drove north, and as the couple sat in silence for the better part of 30 minutes, sweat began soaking through his suit. Grace had never done anything like this before, but he could tell she had been preparing for this moment for some time. She had this strange and scary peace and a presence of mind that unnerved him. She finally motioned for him to pull over. When they stopped, she finally spoke. Bill, I want you to know that you're a great father, a good provider. I know that you love me, but I am extremely unhappy. At that, Bill screamed, "'What? How dare you? I'm a good father. I work for my family. How can you not be happy?' He continued along these same lines for some time, but she clearly wasn't getting through. So he stormed out of the car, frustrated and upset. "'How dare he?' she, he thought. Finally, he rejoined Grace in the car, and she was still calm and peaceful, unnerved by his antics. And finally she asked, "'Do you want to know why I'm so unhappy?' Okay, why? Why are you so unhappy? She replied, you won't let me love you. You don't trust me. I want to be all I can for you, but you won't let me. As tears filled her eyes, she concluded with this, please hear me. To have a relationship, I have to be able to love you. The problem of Bill, the problem of Bill pointed out by Grace, his wife, is the same problem that I think is necessary for all of us to address our entitlement. Bill spent his days feeling like all his works, efforts, and commitment lent him to an entitled and happy wife as well as a happy life. But this is the very thing that he did not have. Bill would go on to say that this was the moment that humbled him, that made him realize that he needed to be loved, that he needed to be able to share his needs emotionally, physically, and spiritually. His life began to change for that time it's same with us. When we begin to realize our entitlement mindset like Bill did, we begin to be open to ourselves saying, all the things that I have, the roof over my head, the food on my table, the clothes that I wear, the friends that I keep, the church that I attend, is not because of anything that I have done or how hard I've worked, but it is simply because of the mercy of God. When we understand that, one of the things we will begin to realize is how thankful we are. And we can begin to have the joy and the peace and the gratitude that comes with thankfulness. Everything we have is because of the mercy of God. Not because of who you were born to, where you were born, what you've done with your life or what you haven't done, but simply the mercy of God. When we understand that, entitlement is defeated. I'm beginning to see how entitlement is defeated even in Benjamin's life. Not long after he had that episode of not really being thankful for the donut, and it was silly, there was a little girl crying in Chick-fil-A. She wanted the balloon that Benjamin had just received from one of the Chick-fil-A workers. And he took that balloon, and he walked right over to the little girl who was crying. He says, here you go. You can have it. I began to see right then and there In Benjamin's heart, he was moving from entitlement to thankful because he realized that everything he has or everything he doesn't have is because of mercy and because of grace. Listen, Central. I want us to move from this entitlement mindset that can plague us so deeply. And I want us to move to a thankful mindset. One that is described by joy wisdom, happiness. The only way we're going to do that is if we humble ourselves, acknowledging all our needs and seeing how God indeed meets all our needs physically, emotionally, and spiritually. If we are loved, we can't help but be thankful. This is the vision that I have for this church. This is what I want to see in all of our lives. A thankful people, not an entitled one. Let us pray to God now that we might be that. Oh Lord, we are, we are in need of everything before You. There is nothing we are entitled to in this life, not even the very breath we breathe this morning. Yet You give it to us. Not because of what we've done or what we have left undone. Not because of who we were born to or because we went to church. But simply because of Your mercy. Your mercy freely given to us. Oh Lord, humble us. Continue to expose the entitlement mindset that plagues us all. Remind us of Your mercy. Remind us of the very particular ways You have shown us Your mercy especially through Jesus in His life and His death and resurrection. That we might in turn be generous people, but more than anything, be thankful people. Make us a thankful people. Amen.